Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. James Howard Kunzler. And uh, Hal Schwab, his holy name. Got to make sure we get that out there for everybody first. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was one of my friends texted me the other night and she was like, did you know his middle name's Martin? And I was like, no, I didn't. She goes, his middle name's Marty. She was like, I can't take him seriously anymore. His name's Marty. <laughs> and so we just kind of, that's kind of been what I've been on my mind for the last two days is, is Marty Schwab. He seems a lot less, uh, the fangs don't seem as sharp anymore. He's just Marty Schwab. He's not Klaus. He's Marty. Um, well, at least his nickname isn't Big Pussy. Yeah, <laughs> he could be. And, but I was thinking, like, he does kind of just look like, he does just kind of look like, an. his head kind of looks like an, like an uncircumcised penis and it's so that and calling him marty has actually really cut him down to size no pun intended um but because we talked about (laughs) (laughs) we have uh, the combined maturity of a five-year-old um but because we got into peak oil last time and i figured there have been some events like russia invading ukraine uh, i kind of want to pick your brain on that everyone on one side we got yes queen because we're no longer importing uh, uh, petroleum from from Russia, but on the other hand, we're just going straight to other dictatorships. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain on that. Wh- well, what- I, I haven't seen a more incoherent political discussion, you know, generally from all quarters in as long as I can remember. <laughs> Absolutely, everybody seems to have lost their minds regarding Ukraine. Uh, regarding both the uh, Ukraine-Russia struggle and all of the econo- economic ramifications of it, uh, you know the the arguments that I'm hearing are just nuts. Um, many Americans, including our political leaders, seem to not really know much about how oil is produced, uh, but they don't know much about the economics and the economic history of oil, especially the recent uh, economic history since, say, uh, you know, the 1980s, and um, the cycles that these things go through and the quality of the, of the uh, oil reserves that we have and uh, how uh, the oil situation differs from country to country, both in the quality of their oil reserves, their ability to get it out of the ground, and the um, you know long transportation routes that they require to import whatever oil they need to import, and uh, I don't know, it's a complex industry for sure. But you know, it, it may just unfortunately be another example of this problem that we have with uh, the uh, hyper complexity of contemporary life and the, the consequent fragility of many of our arrangements. Do you think that then there is a, a sort of a natural, a natural way out of this and that, you know, we look at like life in general, I mean like organic (laughs) life. Right. And it's, you know, 
depending on your belief, but no, no one sat down and drew up schematics for it, right? This hyper-intelligent, this hyper-complex system, the entire biosphere, let alone our own bodies, let alone our individual cells, all arose, I mean, just by these processes that when looking back after 4 billion years and zooming out, it's, it's so complex, but it, it did just kind of rise. So are we looking at, are right now, are we kind of in like one frame of a movie and it's very hard to see the complex systems around us. Can you edit that out if I get that? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I can't talk to you. Don't call me for two hours. <laughs> Guy is a fucking pest. Can I, can I leave that in? That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was, I, I normally see people are like, hey, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> fuck off um but is there like a natural way out of this are we just going to are we just going to sort of flow out of this right now we can't see it because it's super myopic we're looking at day to day this is just one month of one year and it's how are we going to get out of this and all the complex systems and oil refineries and ramifications and russia detaching from the internet and how do we avoid world war three but is this something more like are we going to look back in 50 years and go oh yeah that was kind of the arising of xyz yeah well i think we will look back in a matter of years and and see exactly that um however consider this you know we're kind of uh um stuck in, at two levels of mind fuckery okay uh, one is the sort of mass formation mind fuckery that we've been subjected to since 2015 which includes you know, Russiagate and all the hysteria around uh, Trump and Russia, which went on for four years and turned the liberal establishment into a party of uh, faction of, of maniacs who still can't get their heads straight. But we're also in the fog of war and in the mindfuckery of uh, war propaganda. So, you know, we're, we're dealing with essentially a double mindfuck. And it's very, under the circumstances, it's very hard for people to uh, construct a coherent consensus about what is happening in the world and therefore a coherent plan for what we might do about uh, the predicament we're in. I, I don't know if we covered this last time, but I'll, I'll try to give you the short answer for really what we probably have to do and what, what probably our destination as a society is in the, the intermediate term. Um, you know, reality uh, is telling us that we're going to have to make new arrangements for everyday life in, in the, the advanced economies. And in America, it's especially problematic because we've created arrangements for ourselves in the late 20th century that uh, are so uh, uh, exorbitant that they can't be easily disassembled and rearranged. For example, I, I think that in our last segment, we talked quite a bit about the fiasco of suburbia. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a living arrangement with no future because we're not going to have the energy to continue to do mass motoring the way we've been doing it. And uh, it's very, very difficult to fix any of that. You know, the jolly, the jolly green giant is not going to come in 
and move things closer together so that we can live in walkable communities. You know, which walkable communities is one very good answer for what what we can do and what we're going to do. But, you know, even that is uh, is pretty difficult because so many people are stuck in this arrangement sprawled all over the landscape. And you simply can't just move them back together again by some mysterious force of political will. You know, they, they need to have a, an economic role in their society, which means a job. And um, they need to have some gainful, you know, employment. They have to, they have to be able to make a living. And um, you can't just yank them out of the environment that they're in and the jobs that they're in and say, okay, we're going to put you in a new environment and, uh, you know, find a new way to make a living. It's going to have to happen organically and emergently. And it'll, it's going to take some time for that to happen. And in the meantime, we're going to be living in a very disorderly society. You know, imagine all the trouble that people are going to be having out in suburbia in the months ahead if gasoline continues to be 5 or $6 a gallon. You know, these are people who aren't going to be able to spend money on anything else except maybe food for their families. And, um, you know, a lot of people, are go- a lot of households are going to break under the pressure. And a lot of people are going to be pissed off. And once they get really, you know, look, there are a lot of people out there who are already pissed off from being fucked around about COVID-19 for two years and fucked around about other things for, you know, for years before that. So if you push them a little bit further and piss them off even more, there's no telling really what's going to happen. So anyway, to, to get back on track, you know, we need to make new arrangements for almost every activity that we have in American life. We have to rearrange the way we inhabit the terrain of North America. You know, that is, we're going to have to re-inhabit towns, not suburbs. We're going to have to figure out what we do with all the shit that's sprawled and smeared all over suburbia because it represents a huge investment in capital. Mm -hmm. Some of it's going to, you know, I have an idea of what suburbia becomes in, in the years ahead. And it basically three things, slums, salvage, and ruins. You know, there's a lot of building materials out there. Um, one of the conditions we probably face is that uh, we're going to have to reuse a lot of the things that we manufactured before, especially building materials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think salvage is going to become a major activity in America. You know, disassembling all the muffler shops and the malls and the big box stores and all that shit that, whose business model will be in the process of failing. Now, one thing about human beings is they're very good at sorting shit out. You give them a big pile of debris, you know, from a, uh, from a de- demolished strip mall. Sure. And come back in three weeks, and all the aluminum will be in one pile, yeah. and all the cinder blocks will be in another pile, copper and all wire. the copper will be yeah. in another pile. Yeah, they're good at that, you yeah. know? You can tell that from going to the swap meets around yeah. America. You know? I mean, you could even look at the those like electronic shops. You always see those videos on YouTube of like the guys in India who will take yeah. you know like an entire pile of just whatever, some shit from old radios, and you'll see yeah. them like boiling off and adding acid and like dripping the gold into a. Again, not like a pre-planned thing. It seems like there are organic systems kind of arising right now. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, salvaging. 
Well, you're essentially correct. You know, the human beings are uh, clever about that. And salvage is going to be a big industry. Um, we're going to have to build a lot of things differently because, you know, we're not going to have the same kind of uh, fabricated modular building materials that we've just been churning out for the last, you know, 80, 100 years. Um, uh, you know, I consort with a lot of uh, architects and builders because I, I've been involved with the new urbanist movement for 25 years. And it amazes me how few of them pay any attention to this. You know, they have all these utopian ideas about green, uh, you know, green buildings and lead platinum buildings and all of these things require very elaborate technologies and especially modular materials that are, I don't think we're going to have much longer. And, uh, uh, you know, it becomes particularly problematic in, in big cities with, with uh, megastructures and skyscrapers. Um, you know, office buildings have to be uh, renovated periodically. Maybe every 30, 40 years, you know, you got to start changing out a lot of the interior. Fireproofing. And uh, we may not, there, there are a lot of materials we may not have, you know, going down the road. Even things that seem very humble like sheetrock, you know, it actually requires very elaborate manufacturing and mining supply lines to make that stuff happen. And, uh, you know, we can't depend on it uh, being there. So that's one of the reasons that I think the skyscraper is uh, going to be a tragic blunder, turn out to be a tragic blunder of, you know, of, of our time. And I love, but uh, and I so we're going to have to... So. We're going to have to build things differently. And and um, this movement from living sprawled all over the landscape to living in actual walkable towns, uh, you know, of the sort that we originally built in North America is going to be really painful. I, I don't know how many people are going to survive to, to even live in these places. You know, there's, a, I don't know if we talked about this, but there is a, uh, there was, there is a, a company in a website called Deagle, which published a uh, web page about projecting the uh, population of the United States and a yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. and other countries. You know? And uh, they published it in 2012, I guess. And uh, they they posted this figure that said that the population of the USA was going to be. Uh, uh, 99 million in 2025 and it's currently 340 million so you know what what is the what are the inferences that you make about that deagle by the way is a military uh analysis site that's good you know they're 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 not they're they're not a bunch of uh you know crystal ball readers or or you know woo woo it's not. Uh, it's not me ranting on my podcast saying you know yeah it's not you ranting it's not some spiritualist you know with a yeah. You know, or, or the planets uh, told me new new age guru or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. In other words, in short, they're they're serious people. Yeah, they don't fuck around. So they made that projection that the population would be ninety nine million in USA. God knows what kind of travails we're gonna we might go through to get to that hy- hy- hypothetical figure. Yeah. So uh, you know, all this implies uh, are very very difficult uh, transitions. We've gotten uh, used to the arrangement of uh, corporate industrial agri- agriculture, uh, 
when in fact the trend is telling us that we're going to have to uh, do farming differently. You know, we're going to have to probably going to have to be smaller, going to require more people and more animals maybe and fewer machines. You know, we're not prepared for any of that. And uh, not to mention the, you know, the, the, the difficulties of disassembling the large ownerships of land and how do people who are broke even buy land that, you know, that, uh, I mean, you, you start to have to veer into some ideas about, you know, land distribution in some other way. And, you know, God knows how that happens. It could even be something as severe as, you know, war, yeah, even civil war. So, uh, you know, we're, we're facing a very, very uh, dicey time and it, it, it's looking it's looking more problematic every day, uh, and uh, especially as this Ukraine-Russia thing goes on. The stuff I'm hearing about Ukraine and Russia from people who correspond with me is just nuts. Like, like what? Well, you know, they're they're really fixed on this idea of Vladimir Putin being Satan it, and uh, and pretending to get inside of his his skull and and understand his thoughts, you know, and and. It's like some uh, it's like some movie about uh, the devil where you know people pretend to know what the devil is up to and it's really nuts. The 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 polarizing views on this are no less absurd than what we just got out of with COVID. How there's just I was trying to break yeah. it down yesterday with the guy I was talking to. It was like okay, so this is episode seven hundred and thirty one. Well, let's really break it down. And this is this is part this is episode two of me and you. But I mean, let's really break it down to what it is. It's it's not even just Tommy. It's it's host, guest, visual, visual, audio, lights. That's just what it is. And there's a topic. So mm-hmm. I look at like COVID, and it was narrative that comes out of nowhere, lockstep across the board. Every corporation, from McDonald's to Netflix to GE to get vaccinated. And if you talk anything against the vaccine, you're literally Hitler or Satan. And then that's just what it is. And we kind of then we get the mass formation psychosis. So right now, and I have no dog in the fight. I don't I don't have a side. I feel bad for the people being killed in Ukraine. I feel bad for the the anti-war protesters in Russia. I, I understand Russia, I, not NATO encroachment. I mean, how can we not? How can I have this flag and, you know, think about the Cuban Missile Crisis and then not see? All right, sure. But let's just really break it down. There's a narrative. Doesn't matter what it is. COVID, Ukraine, doesn't matter what it is. There's a narrative that seemingly came out of nowhere. There's lockstep. Everyone is on the same page marching orders. There's the propaganda immediately, right? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the the key the the ghost of Kiev the Snake Island the Zelensky's out there literally fucking Russian soldiers to death because he's Iron Man or whatever <laughs> like and then but not only that and we find the the cherry on top we've actually started to see the first censorship on big tech we first and it was last week if you said anything about U S bio labs in Ukraine you'd be suspended or banned which I was a year a year two years ago talking about. No, a year ago, talking about the election and then talking about, you know, interviewing Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough. So now the censorship is there. So it doesn't matter what we're censoring, mm-hmm. either ivermectin or U.S. biolabs. We now have the marching orders, one side. If you deviate from that side, you're Satan and literally Hitler and you're siding with the other people. And if you do try to bring it up, fuck you, you'll be deplatformed. To me, this is kind of absurd that we're just marching 
right into this dichotomy. So like I've, I've interviewed intelligent people who have wildly different views. I'll have a guy come on and say, like, do you not understand NATO encroachment? Like, this is what Putin's doing, all this Ukrainian propaganda. And then yesterday I had on Claire Lopez, who I have on every week, 20-year CIA veteran, brilliant. And she was completely on the side of Ukraine. And it's like two plus two cannot equal five and equal three. Like, there's something in the middle, right? The vaccines aren't pure death, and ivermectin also isn't the savior. So that's kind of where I'm coming down on to to kind of comment on what you were just saying. The polarization is so absurd that I can't help but think I can't help but think that this is like COVID's that that show is over. Season two sucked and they're not renewing it. <laughs> so now they're rolling out the new series and it's. It's from the makers of COVID. We bring you Ukraine and it's got characters such as Zelensky and Putin. And it's just like all these guys and it's sponsored by GE and Swift banking. And it's like, what's really going on? And I know I just rambled and shoved all that down your throat, but could you go into what you're talking about? The people you're corresponding with? Oh, well, uh, first I got to say, yeah, I think that's a very shrewd analysis of the fact that, you know, we've become such TV zombies that everything in real life now is is kind of uh, shoehorned yeah. into the format of a Netflix yes. series. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, in order arcs. to make it comprehensible to people, yeah. there are arcs. There are there are there are uh, cliffhangers at the end of shows. Zelensky yeah. said he wouldn't leave. Breaking. Zelensky has left, and it's just <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It's, oh fuck. <laughs> Oh shit! What's going what on? Russia, Russia's shelling a uh, Russia's shelling a, a nuclear power plant. Is this what he meant by nuclear power? Like, don don don. Tune in next week on. <laughs> but that's what it is. Sorry. Is uh, is Kevin Costner playing Putin oh, or they're, they're Oh, it's the same. It's the same fucking washed up guys. They're gonna have a digitally enhanced De Niro and Joe Pesci and all these fucking <laughs> people are in there, and it's all gonna. But it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can't help but think, now is this, let's try to think outside the box, is it just that we're jumping from crisis to crisis, or have there always been these crises, and have there always been these polarized lines, but we are now seeing it very quickly because of access to information at at literal light speed? I think it's more a, fa- more a matter of uh, uh, the internet transmitting this information so quickly that that itself is kind of uh, affecting events. You know, uh, there's, uh, oh. there's a kind of a, a analog for that in finance, I think, which is what the Taylor effect, where, you know, uh, 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 enough uh, uh, manipulation of, um, I forget exactly how it works, but I think it's enough manipulation of the, the, the um, metrics of the markets ends up um, affecting the markets. And so, you know, we're, we're manipulating the metrics of the discussion about events that are happening in the world against the backdrop 
of a world that has to change uh, pretty drastically because the energy inputs into it are declining uh, so severely that not everybody uh, can can run their society the way that they've been used to. You know, I, I would think at the moment the Europeans are probably in the most peril because they really do not have any fossil fuels of their own except for coal. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've been living very comfortably for the whole period since, oops, since about 1960, this 1960s or so, you know, when they finally recovered from uh, the, the trauma of World War II. And um, they've been living comfortably also because they've, you know, they, they arranged their society, so they had a lot of, uh, uh, they had a big social safety net for, you know, people to take two-month vacations and to people to retire comfortably and for people to get free medical care. And, you know, it'll get to the point very soon where they can't afford any of that. And uh, they won't have enough energy to run their, their households and their industries. And um, so, you know, enter Klaus Schwab with his solution is, well, okay, if you can't do that, let's just have nothing and, and, and see if we can set up some central control panel for people having nothing. Um, personally, I don't think that people are going to be very satisfied with that. And the end result will be uh, people will not have nothing, but they will certainly fight over whatever's left, you know? And so uh, the prospect is for Europe to, transform itself from being a theme park to being once again a slaughterhouse as it was in the early 20th century. And it's not a very happy prospect, but it's a pretty good possibility given what the circumstances are. We're fortunate actually uh, having the insulation of two oceans between, you know, between us and the other people in the world. And, um, and yet we face a very similar problem, you know, where we've got basically a, a declining energy supply any way you put, any way you look at it. And um, the prospect of a incrementally lower standard of living from year to year. And we just can't deal with it. The, the prospect of all that, I think, is really what lies behind the mass formation is the apprehension that we've entered this phase of history that I call the long emergency. And, you know, it's full of complexity because it's all about a complex society decomplexifying and unraveling. And to to create a picture of that uh, is difficult, especially when, you know, the the, uh, channels of communication in the mass media are not interested in presenting it in a coherent way because it's too scary. So, you know, we, we just want to uh, present uh, cheerful morning TV shows where people who represent a kind of uh, archetypal mom and dad sit at a coffee table and, you know, tell you happy things. But, you know, we, we really got to get a clue. And the bottom line is, you know, if you, uh, a lot of people won't get a clue and... Um, you know, you asked a question before. I, exactly, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but it's sort of a question of, you know, what 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 are we as individuals going to do, and communities, uh, and there are very, you know, our communities are extremely under, 
uh, I don't know, underbuilt and, and, and under attended. They've atrophied. Yeah. They're, they're severely atrophied. And, uh, so we have to rebuild those and the way you rebuild them is, not, you know, it's, it's really a process of finding, uh, uh, roles for human beings that are both social and economic in the same place. And, you can't just wish for it. You know, you have to actually make something happen. So uh, I think the answer for a lot of people is, you know, put your energy into figuring out what a favorable place to live is and plant your flag there and see if you can figure out some way that you can be useful to other people so you can make something like a living, you know, so that you can construct a, uh, a life that, uh, you know, allows you to feed yourself and, you know, shelter yourself, provide things for other people, be useful, be a part of a community of people who have to make decisions about things that are, you know, public goods. And <clears throat> having made everything in America gigantic for the last 50 years, uh, it's very hard for us to get back to that. You know, we're, It'd be very hard for us to reconstruct main street economies, which uh, which include you know many many layers of of and roles for people to occupy. You know, if I was a young person, which I'm not, yeah. I would be kind bullshit. of excited. Bullshit! You're 25. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm I'm an old motherfucker. <laughs> to my to my great consternation and surprise every morning, but um. You know, if I was a young person, I could see myself getting excited about the prospects for being able to uh, uh, make a life in, well, under these new conditions. I am. I genuinely am. Yeah, well, that's the, you're, you're a good role model for people. And, you know, how can young people create a business, you know, find a, a business that uh, – find a niche for themselves in, in some activity – that really needs to be reformed. You know, one of the things I, that we can think about is the, the fact that the business model for, uh, you know, national chain retail is probably going to um, uh, be over with, right? Yeah. Um, it seemed like a good idea at the time. That's, by the way, that's my, my theory of history, is that things happen because they seem like a good idea at the time. So... You know, it seemed like a good idea at the time to destroy small business in America and consolidate all the commerce into giant, you know, warehouse stores. It, and Sorry, I was going to say, no, it's like the concept that we're always fighting the last war. In the same uh -huh. time, we're always we're always building up infrastructure for something that probably just ended or isn't going to be a thing. But yeah, I, I just got an email from a guy who's telling me about... Uh, uh, you know, some someone is proposing to build a hundred and eighty million dollar resort uh, on the mountain uh, outside of his town, and I'm thinking, oh well, that's interesting. Um, you know, just as uh, mass motoring is dying, he's building another piece of infrastructure for mass motoring tourism. Is it in New Hampshire? You know? uh, no, it's in West Virginia. As a matter of fact, but you know, I mean, these are the kind. Of, that's kind of like fighting the last war. So you know, we've got all these big box stores out there that have been the way that people get shit for the last uh, you know thirty years or so. Uh, their business model is going to fail. You know, if you're a young person, how do you start a business where you just like, you know, procure goods 
of one kind or another and find a way to sell them, you know, at scale and at the small scale and, and not try to, uh, you know, and, and not uh, necessarily recapitulate the last previous chapter in, uh, you know, in, in the history of commerce. So, but and it's very hard to imagine. It's very hard to do. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm living in a small town of 2,500 people. And it's so interesting to me to see the bones of the town there, all the buildings and all the shop fronts and all the stuff that used to, you know, work because it was the mall of yesteryear, right? And so the bones are there, but they've been completely deactivated. And and so I, I often, you know, walk down there and I think, you know, how can this thing be reactivated? How can, what conditions will allow that to happen? And how can local people find a way to do it? You know, people are pretty ingenious and, and I don't know if it'll require real desperation. You know, we haven't really suffered real desperation until the last two years with COVID and, and people's lives being ruined and upended. And, and now, now there are a lot of people out there who have probably spent uh, quite a period of time asking themselves what they're going to do now. I think on, you know, on one hand, I, I see something like all those big box stores that there's kind of no purpose for. I feel like those are just going to become like drone centers for distribution things like Amazon. But, you know, I think about how like just how much things change, right? You go to like Boston, you see the cobblestone streets and it's because, uh, you know, they the, the ships would, right, wasn't the ships would bring all the goods from from like the colonies to Britain and then they'd need ballast. So they'd fill the, the them up with rocks and then you come over here and you got to dump the fucking rocks and they built roads. But there was concerns about like how far can we like move the cobblestones when are we gonna you know at some point there's gonna be like peak cobblestone but now you look back at that and you're like that entire idea is just like so absurd. what are you talking about they're gonna make highways they're gonna have like, what? so it, it always makes me think of this this uh there's this article and it was um it was from the year 1900 and it was mm-hmm. pre- it was predictions for the year two thousand, you know, for the year two thousand, mm-hmm. and it was very like World's Fair ish. And of course, everything's like there's no digital rendering, so it's all like watercolors, like predictions from the world's best future. <laughs> and it's like it's like how will we deal with the future? And it's like in the future, like you'll need so much information because we're getting so hyper connected that like it won't be enough to like it won't be enough to just go to school once. You'll need to be reading all the time, and there's like there's like this image of like all these like students sitting there and they have caps on with like wires and it's leading to like what looks like a wood chipper <laughs> and they're just dumping books into it. And they're like, you'll somehow need this. And that yeah. obviously didn't come to pass, but there is my phone, wherever the fuck it is with audiobooks. Okay. So there's one example. Yeah. The next is uh, how will we deal with like the new wonders? Cause you gotta remember the first skyscraper was like Chicago. It was 1880, 1890. And they're like, how will we deal with like fires in the future? And like, will buildings, you know, because building scientists say that buildings could get up to 30 stories tall with like <laughs> metamaterials. And you're like, OK. And it shows all these firefighters with these like Jules Verne, like leather wings that looks like something out of Dante's <laughs> Inferno. And they're all flying around and they've got like their what looks like the World War One German helmets on and they're spraying yeah. skyscrapers. And it's like, OK, but the idea was there. You're going to need to fight fires at a height. But what they yeah. didn't see was like sprinkler systems. All right. Yeah. Right. So, but there are all these. There's another really, there's another really great example of that. There's a, a a famous futurist book from the late 
late 19th century called uh, Looking Backward by Edward Bellamy. And in the book, this guy, uh, the protagonist, uh, wakes from a trance of some sort. You know, he's been in a coma or trance for for, uh, 70 years, and he wakes up in 1950. And he's in Boston. And everything is, uh, you know, everything is absolutely uh, immaculate. And uh, it's like some kind of a, uh, some kind of a, a neoclassical dream of, of order and cleanliness. And, and he goes out to explore this new world that he's in. And he, he discovers that nobody cooks at home anymore. They all just go to central commissaries. Where you know the, there are sumptuous banquets are dished out, and there is uh, uh, music distributed all over the city into these you know commissaries and dining halls and things, and the music is produced in a, by an orchestra in some central area, and it's transmitted pipes through pipes, through pipes, all over the city. Yeah. You know, it like never occurred to them that there would be electric, uh, you know, high fidelity music and radio, you know. But, but that's what I mean is so. But there's. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I think I, I think I actually was talking about this with a friend. It was like episode 40. It was like right when I started this. But kind of the conclusion we came to was. The the meta concept is pretty accurate. You will need to be able to access information at you. Could, yeah, exactly. you can't just go to school. Like you, you got to have Google, right? I can't go back and learn about peak oil. I got to no. I'm just going to email this guy, and he's going to come on and talk to me. You can't have you no. Know, there aren't guys with wings, but there are. I mean, we have 747s fighting forest fires. We have sprinkler systems yeah. and high rises. Um, you know, we're not piping out music from a central right. Well, first you have radios, but then it's like, well, now you just have your own library on your own device. Another, Not even that. You just stream it from some distant server somewhere. And so in a way, you are piping it in. Now, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Yeah. How it happens, they always get the technology hilariously wrong. But yeah. the concept is there. Another, another one was, um, it, was uh, it was the future of air travel. And, uh, and what they called before it was a thing was, I didn't call it, but was mass motoring. And it was, there will be a time when there will be great swaths of like lanes in the sky and it shows like a guy in a top hat, like, like <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's like kissing the daughter and like the boy goodbye. And he's getting, he, he has like a driveway. It's not a driveway because no one needed driveways. There weren't fucking cars, but he's getting in <laughs> his personal like blimp. And he is, he's in what looks like a subdivision. You see everyone else yeah. in the morning and they're taking off on their blimps. Like, gotta you know, I got to beat the traffic, honey. And no, no, not everyone has a blimp with a like a Bunsen burner, like a jackass. But what they do have is their car. So yeah. what I mean is like they are. The concept is right. The execution is incorrect. Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright did something similarly in the uh, 1930s when there wasn't a whole lot of work for for architects in yeah. the Depression. Yeah, 
Uh, he he did a lot of theoretical work. The Mile High Tower. No, this was more like uh, the I think it was the Usonian City or something like that, and uh, it, he he did all these renderings or drawings of what you know the what how we would inhabit the land in the future, and it was a pretty accurate. Uh, depiction of what you know suburbia on uh, you know in Long Island or in suburban Chicago would be uh, in 1963. Yeah, but uh, if you look closely at the renderings, the really interesting thing is like it's a bird's eye view of like uh, you know three square miles, and if you count the cars in the picture, there's only like 17 cars. <laughs> you know, he totally got that wrong, right? Yeah. But like, it, it, the whole concept of traffic was like inconceivable to him. Yeah. But the very, like, but the concepts are accurate. So the, the point of me saying all of this is, yeah. is like, I don't know how it will. Someone, they're going to look back at this and they're going to laugh at this the same way we're laughing at watercolors. These jackasses thought there was going to be like salvaging operations of like copper wire. Didn't they know about that XYZ? But if they yeah. zoom out and look at the big picture, it'll be like, well, actually, they were right. They were saying, go get all the stuff we're not using anymore and repurpose it. So I guess that's why um, – and that's not to say that it won't be a horrific process and there won't be death and destruction and depression and famine in the, in the way. I'm not making light of that. I kind of am. I guess I'm not ignoring it. I guess in general, I really don't have any – there's really no part of my mind that thinks that we won't figure it out. I might not be here for it. But we will figure it out. Well, we may figure it out, but the outcome may not be what we think it's going to be. Let, let me introduce a, a somewhat parallel idea uh, that we need to incorporate. Is that, you know, the last 250 years of uh, technological advancement uh, have really been, you know, ha has produced this anomalous period of history of comfort and convenience that wasn't like the rest of human history. And, you know, we think of that as normal now, of being able to, you know, heat our homes at the flick of a thermostat mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, microwave a dinner and do all these things that are really the equivalent of magic. Uh, and it's become a normal thing in everyday life. And, you know, we're entering a period of history where the magic is going to ebb and I think we're going to be tremendously disappointed about that, about how high technology and complex technology turned out to not be a permanent installation in the human condition. You know, we're going to feel gypped. And, uh, but what I think what we'll see instead in place of that is something that I would call the re-enchantment of everyday life. And that was something I tried to depict in my World Made by Hand novels. Um, I set up this kind of relationship between two groups in the, the town that I set the novel in. And um, in the story, there's a group of uh, evangelicals who come up to this town from Virginia. They've left, the, they've, they've left the South because it's a particularly disorderly corner of the country. And they've uh, they sojourned in Pennsylvania for a while, but that didn't work out. And now they've moved into the, the Hudson Valley, where the book is set. And they're kind of a you know kind of a kind of a bogus cultish kind of uh, 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 group. But uh, and and I thought that the uh, leader of the gang was going to be the villain in the novel uh, at first. But I turned it turned out that I 
I admired him quite a bit because he he was a very resilient character and he became kind of a heroic figure. But I, I contrasted this group uh, in the novel, this group buys the local high school, moves in their community of about 90 people and starts converting it into, you know, kind of a kibbutz kind of thing. You know, they turn all the old ball fields into gardens and, and, uh, you know, they build stables and they, they take care of all the things they need to have. A, and, and they're successfully coping with this traumatic change that the country has been through because the book takes place. These books, for all four of them, take place after an economic collapse. And I contrast that group of people with the townspeople who have always been there. And they're tremendously demoralized and discouraged. And they, they do feel that they have been let down by the failures of uh, industrial civilization. And, um, you know, they're, they're basically, as a group, depressed. And the other group is not depressed. You know, they're, they're eager to go forth every day and do what they need to do to, uh, you know, to, to improve their little world. And um, I'm not a religious person at all. Um, but I had a lot of, I, I took a lot of satisfaction from trying to imagine that group and imagine what they were up to and how they perceived the world. And um, part of that perception was that uh, life to some degree had been become re-enchanted for them spiritually. And, and, and as the technological trappings of life fell away, life became more and more Reenchanted daily life became more and more reenchanted with a you know a spiritual dimension. I actually really want to touch on that. Um, can you monologue while I go to the bathroom? Oh my god! <laughs> I know that happens every episode. I don't want to. Hey, care. I'm the, I'm supposed to be the one with a prostate problem because I'm old. That's it's been the joke since like episode four. Is like Tommy, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. So it's because you probably you sit there sipping water all a live long day. I don't care. Yeah. One day it will be a luxury, so I'm going to get it while I can. Okay. James, tell them where to find you. Uh, all right. Where to find me? My blog comes out every Monday and every Friday around 10 o'clock Eastern time. And it's called Clusterfuck Nation. It is on my website, which is www.kunstler.com. That's K-U-N-S-T-L-E-R.com. Uh, I have many, if not most, well, many of my books are sort of advertised on it. If you're interested and you want to read them, you can get them. And you can get them from the usual places. You can also get them, you can also order them from your local bookseller. And uh, there aren't that many local independent booksellers left in, the, in this American world. But uh, we have one. And um, maybe uh, maybe you have one, and it's a good thing to support them. And I don't know if I can cover for Tommy a whole lot longer. So uh, just hang in there, y'all. Uh, so, I, I hear him knocking around out there. I think he's coming back. around, tripping, going to fall and break my neck. So... Um, I'm not going to say where just because out of privacy, but uh, where a lot of my my family lives in in New England, um, there's like a series of lakes. But uh, you can actually go back and find you can find things where these old like 
these old cabins and resorts. And it's where like, it's where like the Wolf of Wall Streets of like the twenties actually went to vacation. Yeah. It's, you can find, uh, you can find all these old telephone poles, which were like telegrams because they want to keep an eye on the market. I mean, it's, it's remote mm. today in 2022. They were up there in the twenties. We have a very similar thing here in the Adirondack mountains. You know, I, I'm not in the Adirondacks, but they're yeah. close at hand. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm about 30, 40 miles away from the beginning of it. And, uh, I had a girlfriend about mm, seven, eight years ago, whose family had a house on an obscure point in Lake George, which is a very I've, large I've, I've been there. lake. Yeah, I've okay. been there like a hundred times. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, it's, it's sort of across the lake from those uh, that little group of islands where people, you know, drive their boats and party on summer days. Anyway, uh, her family had a house out there that was built around 1890. And it was a magnificent mansion, Right. And it had been tricked out from about 1890 to the 1920s with all the state-of-the-art equipment for running a summer house off the grid. They had a generator house with diesel generators. They had, you know, plumbing and, uh, you know, uh, it, all, it, was all, it, w- it was all very beautifully thought out and executed. Mm-hmm. They had a windmill for... Uh, for uh, running a uh, a bubbler that that would uh, keep the water from freezing around the dock and destroying it in the wintertime. Oh shit! So that you know you could yeah, build yeah, yeah. A, a, you could build a major structural dock and not have to take it out yeah. at the end of the season. All this stuff, and uh, by the time we got there, you know, in the early two thousands, all this stuff was broken. Yeah. Didn't work. You know, if you wanted to flush a toilet, you had to make uh, two trips with buckets down to the lake, get the water, carry it, you yeah. know, uh, upstairs, three flights of stairs to to do that. You know, um, the generator house was uh, was a ruin. The, the generators had all been removed. There, there was no more electricity. So, you know, you're walking around with kerosene lamps in places that have all these lighting fixtures that don't, oh yeah. you know. It was it was a real lesson in like uh, uh, you know yesterday's tomorrow or something like that or tomorrow's yesterday, and um, you know, uh, you know I, to me it was it, it was kind of like a vision of uh, where we may be going. Well, that again for me is I look at it like with optimism. So like if you go up there now, even like where my parents retired to, you can walk around and find like kind of the, the the ruins of like these old places that used to be i mean it was it, it, it was like the you know it was like the bahamas getaway of like billionaires of today you can go find mm-hmm. kind of the foundations and it was like these guys were so rich all the timber up there and it used to be a hub and i mean there's like areas like kind of cleared away where like like the the water boat or the 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 boat planes used to land and bring in like fresh lobster and stuff. I mean, these oh, guys, yeah, 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 sure. Oh, yeah, in the 20s. And so, like, but you look at it now, all those places are collapsed in. You can find the islands that they used to own and it's all grown in now, but you can actually still see the foundations and stuff. But it was all like they were balling out. So I look at that area now and it's like part of you can go, oh, wow, it's all just this is what we're going to. But that very area where a lot of my, my family lives, my extended family lives, they are, and I remember the first time like I went up there and truly understood it. Like I'd been up there a lot when I was little. It was 2014. I just finished college, and 
I truly started to appreciate what it was. And I stopped looking at like the lakes where they looked at is like, oh, they have to work so hard just to have like a normal life. And I've, re- and I've realized, and I've, and it's, it wasn't just like an idyllic kind of, oh, um, it's, I mean, I'm stupid. It's why well, I am, but I've been up there so many times now. And despite <laughs> it being almost 10 years later, more than ever, do I believe this? They have such a close knit community. Some of them are like 10 cabins. Some of them are like 50 where they're all in the same body of water. And like one guy is like he's got like the snow plow you know another couple guys like they do all like the firewood and one guy's like the electrician and they all have solar panels and they all they collect all their trash and then like once a month like someone will drive like two hours out of the woods they use all the recycling they use all the metal uh all the cans they 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 put all the beer cans from like the entire summer and they save it and then they go sell it for scrap metal and they use that to buy like emergency diesel fuel that anyone in the, the place can use if they need to. They all know mm. each other. No one locks a door. Everybody's armed to the teeth. They all hunt. They know how to do everything. They can fish. They get their own well water. And I look at – and you go up there and they still got a big old flat screen in there. They still got mm. their satellite dish that runs on like a little windmill. But you go up there – not only are they genuine, and obviously the grass is always greener on the other side. You go up there for 10 years, you might go, oh, no, the city's the I, I get that. But, I mean, you go up there, and despite all of like, the flaws of life, they are happier. You, I went up there, it was like summer 2020, I think. They had, COVID was like a, this like distant thing you see on the news. They're like, oh, is that still mm. fucking going on? They're like, oh, wow, I bet it was the Chinese, you know, anyway. And they just go back. They're just living their goddamn life. And they're all, they plant their own shit. They, they ch- cut down all their own wood. And at first it's like, but you got to do all that work. And I now look at it as I'm like, that shit's so fulfilling. My, my mom and dad have been retired for not quite a year. I have never seen them this happy. Maybe it's because they're not raising four shithead kids anymore. But like the fact that instead of being in suburbia where you can just go to the grocery store and get anything you want, the fact that they're in like the middle of the woods, hours away from any convenience and all that they're chopping wood, they're growing, they're, they're hunting their own stuff, they're cooking their own stuff, they're, they're making their own. I have never seen them happier because it's just purpose. They are creating what they want. Some things you have to get. They, they can't build a TV. But they're creating their own stuff and they're completely – and they have neighbors and everyone is taking care of each other. And I go, so on one hand, you go back to the 1920s and you go, this is what it's going to become. And they go, oh, God, that's an Armageddon scenario. It's all broken down. On the other hand, I'm like, these people are thriving. Like Ukraine is of no mind to them. It, it is – unless a nuke hits it they're going to keep living their life. I mean, like America could fall and they would be like, oh, that, huh, that happened. Well, one thing uh, it seems to me you're describing is, is that uh, human beings uh, are very resilient at reorganizing daily life. Yes. And, and you know, we, we see something similar to that in the history of the Adirondacks near where I am, where, you know, the whole economy of the Adirondacks before 1950, or before the Second World War, was based on these uh, many large tourist hotels on the many lakes of the Adirondacks. And that's where people would go for like a three-week vacation or two-week vacation, you know. Uh, That's how life was organized. It had all of the 
the recreational things that they needed. They had all the boats and the canoes, the sailboats. They had guides who would take you out fishing. They had, uh, you know, hunting. Uh, you know, they they went out hunting. They, uh, you know, everybody stayed in one hotel and uh, socialized in that hotel without, you know, electronic stuff, you know, without TVs and, and stereos and stuff like we're talking about, you know, going back into the, uh, the early 1900s. And um, uh, that was one way of organizing American life uh, for leisure in that period of history. And so what amazes me is that all of that stuff is gone. All the infrastructure is gone. The the giant wooden hotels are gone. You know, some of them burned down. Some of them were demolished. Some of them were, you know, take disassembled. But they're all gone. And uh, a new economy took over. And and one of the features of that old economy was it took a lot of people to to work around there to make shit happen. So you know, you have a hotel that's doing this thing. You need a lot of employees of different kinds. You know, whole hierarchies of employees, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, one of the interesting statistics about that period of time is that ten percent of the American working people in 1910 were servants of one kind or another, and you know, it's so interesting to me because now having a servant class seems to be uh, kind of an obscenity yeah. in our culture. I mean, everybody says, "Oh my God, how could you have that?" You know, That's such neat, an yeah such an inequitable situation where some people are serve serve and some people are the served, right? But, you know, um, the interesting thing was that, uh, that that arrangement of things gave people a place in the world. It gave them something to do. Um, and it gave them, uh, you know, a step to do something else, you know, to step up from that and find some other thing to do. So having eliminated that, you know, we've eliminated a great deal from American life. And my guess is that as we go further into the future, we're going to be living in a more hierarchical society. And it it may turn out to be a shock to a lot of people as that occurs, you know, because, you know, I, I basically believe that uh, human beings tend to be hierarchical animals. You know, we're we are highly social creatures and uh, we arrange ourselves into, uh, you know, levels and hierarchies. And that's really uh, what we're hardwired for. And for the last 50 years, at least since the Second World War, we, we've been very reluctant to do that. You know, when I was a kid and... Um, I spent three of my childhood years in suburbia between the ages of five and eight. Absolutely everybody in uh, my subdivision on Long Island had a live-in maid. Yeah. You know, today, only people in Hollywood have that. You know, nobody else does, really. But one one of the interesting consequences of that is that so many people live in these disorderly households. You know, these chaotic households where nothing is ever, you know, picked up or cleaned and... And, uh, you know, nobody eats dinner together. And you know, it's, it's really amazing how disorganized American life is. And some of the things that would be that would help to organize it are things that have now become taboo. Yeah, it it kind of seems like it makes me think of like uh, going to like Panama City in college. I went to the University of Georgia, go down there for spring break for a week. 
and like oh, Florida. You don't mean Panama City, Panama. You mean Panama City, Florida? Oh yeah, no, no. We yeah, we go down and hang out with Noriega. Yeah, no, Panama City, Florida, and yeah, uh, the Redneck Riviera. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolute trash. But just a fucking twenty-one. It's a blast. Well, it's a navy port too. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's navy base. Yeah. So, like, you'd go down there for, you know, you go from college where I studied all the time. But like you know, once a week you go out and you kind of get fucked up, and it, it was basically sustainable. You're going out, you're getting, you're not spending too much. You're, you know, you're finding a place with like the cheapest beer. Go get some fast food at two in the morning. Come home, pass out, wake up the next morning, smoke some weed. You're hungover all day, and then you get back to it. You got class on Monday. You go back to. It's very, it's like a sustainable. Like you can do that. Spring break was like, spring break's obviously a splurge. You're all going down there. You get in a hotel that's far nicer than like your own living, uh, your living conditions at, at like UGA because of it. Fuck it. Like you're on the beach, you're waking up at like seven in the morning. You're, you start drinking at breakfast, like hard liquor. You're going out on the (laughs) beach. You're fucked up all day. There's a, you know, a hundred thousand girls. There's concerts on the beach, come home, pass out, go out again. Everyone's walking on the strip and you're going to these huge bars. You're paying 50 bucks to get in, but you don't give a shit because it's spring break. Insane. But it's did you actually get? Is there any time left for getting laid? Uh, yeah, if you're not a retard, I was a retard and couldn't pull it off. But uh, no, you could do it on the beach, dude. People are you're walking by. There's people just the social structures. That just, ain't right. Social structures just break down. You see people like fucking. You're just like noted. Like, but the thing is, is like, it's all so wild, right? You come and you're you're just doing stupid shit, and you're like, you know, you're about to go to bed, and it's like there's a party down in like the hotel like pool, and everyone's going down. You're down there till sunrise, and <clears throat> it's all so fun. But no one, no one there, despite being on multiple drugs, no one there has any like delusion that this is more than spring break. It's fun, and like you want it to go on forever, but everybody knows you got five days. You got five days, and. As you get towards the end, there is that sort of like free flowing anxiety. It's like, oh, we got to go back. And you go back, and then there's like a hangover for like a week, and you're thinking about God. spring break. But then you get back into it. You go to class. You start hitting the gym. You got to start studying again. And you fall back into like just normal college life. I kind of look at where we are right now, like suburbia, kind of post war boom, post World War II boom, really till like, I don't know, 2000, you were saying 2015. That's kind of like spring break. And it was absurd. We we're in hotels nicer than we needed to be. You didn't, you could drink once a week, but now we we're drinking liquor at breakfast every day. You're going out on the beach. You're going insane. Instead of finding the, like the little, like the little pub where you and your buddies go split a pitcher, you're going to a really nice bar and paying a ridiculous fee to get in. It's all absurd. Instead of going to bed, you go to a jacuzzi. But the the difference is, is this lasted for decades. So we have this sort of delusion that this is life. And now we're yeah. reaching those final days of spring break and we're going, oh, yeah. we got to go back. And it seems scary because we got to go back. But the reality is, is it's going to be a little scary and uncomfortable and you're going to yearn for the past. But then you're going to fall back into that sustainable. We'll go drink once a week, smoke a little pot, but you got to go to class. I think that's where we're going. You know, we'll take decades, but. There's going to be that fear. Remember spring break? Remember suburbia? Remember having everything? Remember Uber Eats? But we'll eventually fall back into something. And then, like, the real thing is, is about a month out of spring break, you go, I kind of like this more. Spring break was too much. It was fun, but you're like, I kind of, I kind of, this is a little more even keeled. You're like, this is a little, 
I kind of like this a little more. I think that's what it is, is everyone from multiple colleges go down to Panama City, and it's just nuts. But -hmm. when you go back, you fall back into your routines, and you actually start to like the routines. And I think that's probably what we're doing now. And then a year later, it starts to come up on spring break. That will be a century from now, the next boom. And we'll all go nuts, and there will be another couple decades of the golden age. But I think that's probably what it is. And so you don't need to look at the last days of spring break like it's the end of college. Like, no, you're you're still 21. Like, yeah, you're still going to the University of Georgia. Like, what are you complaining about? No, it's not Panama City, and you're not fucking doing Adderall at midnight and hanging out with chicks way out of your league. But it's still college. It's still a fucking blast. All right, you got to. You got to buy the 25 cent pitcher instead of the $5 vodka shot, (laughs) but you fall back into it and you very quickly are okay with it. And you're like, this is enough. This is enough. That's what I think we're doing. Well, uh, I think that's a very good analogy, except for one thing. Uh, I think that this time out from luxury and convenience and comfort is going to last a long time. Well, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you know, when the Roman Empire fell, you know, it, it didn't come back uh, 64 years later. Yeah. You know, uh, well, there, there were there was a good, uh, you know, 1400 years of difficulty and darkness and medieval, you know, brutal medieval well, life. Let's say five days in Panama City is five decades from 1950 till 2000. So if a day is a decade, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a year until spring break again. Yeah, I'm just not convinced that we're going to go back to having uh, the same kind of highly technological society that uh, fossil fossil fuel afforded. You know, there's always this this idea that there's some kind of miracle uh, energy source out there, like dark energy or fusion. you know uh, fusion or some other thing that we could do. But uh, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And I, uh, I think that the human life may be taking place on a much uh, lower pitch than what we've been used to. Yeah, it's we're not going to a concert on the beach. We're we're, we're playing mm-hmm. we're playing beer pong in our apartment. That's what I think. <laughs> when I say we may not be playing beer pong, but but relatively. But you get what I'm saying, like. Yeah. We're not we're not taking a we're not take we're not doing charter a, a limo Hummer to take us to some club. You, you're yeah. fucking you're walking to the bar, but you're still going to the bar, and yeah. it, it you very quickly become adapted to it and you're okay with it, and then you actually start. To well, that was it. exactly what my World Made by Hand series of novels was trying to depict. Yeah, and when I say go back to spring break, I should have clarified. I don't think it will be the United States. I think it will be the next empire. It'll probably be China, and then. That will last for a while, mm-hmm. and that will collapse. And it'll, just like it, the Roman Empire didn't rise again, it, it, it went on to the next. You know, Great Britain didn't become great again. It went to the United States. And, you know, Spain didn't rise again, and Egypt didn't rise again. And that's what I mean. Is mm-hmm. it, that, Yeah, these things do, empires do shift around the world in weird yeah. ways, you know. Uh we're no exception. You know, if you were a Roman, you never would have imagined that Germany would become the high-tech center of the world in the 19th century. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Uh, it just seems so improbable. For, you know, as far as we know, the next uh, empire will be centered in Paraguay. <laughs> but, but seriously. 
because they have a lot of water power there, you know? I mean, but, but genuinely, we have no idea. It might be, I mean, I, I mean, who knows? It could be like the southern yeah. tip of Chile could be the new Manhattan in, yeah. in 200 years. That could be yeah. the hub. That's where the Yankees yeah. are. That's where Times Square is. And right now we're like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, the next Napoleon might come out of Iceland. You That's know, what I mean. you don't know. That's what I mean. Is it it's very uh, history is a prankster? I think about those like screensavers where it's just the thing bouncing around the screen. And that's it's the globe. It's just bouncing around. It's the same thing. It's that mm-hmm. it's that peak society, prosperity, military might, and imperialism. But as the millennia shift and the technology shift, it's still just think pong. It's just going from takes different shapes. The Great Pyramids, Eiffel Tower, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire, uh, you know, New York skyline. It's just gonna keep doing that. And I don't know, there's there's some peace in that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get used to the idea that history exists as a kind of a flux. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and then, you know, you can look at it and go, oh shit, oh, you know. But then you look at every empire that fell and it's like it doesn't fall and then you're like you're immediately killed. It's a it's a very slow motion thing and mm-hmm. humanity goes on. Um and uh so I actually still have like 30 minutes left. My next podcast until 4.30. I'm an idiot. I thought it was four. What if, can we kind of go back to, to current with, with Ukraine? What, what is on your mind that I haven't necessarily brought up? Because sometimes I guide conversations and I realize that there's a lot I'm not touching on that may be in your mind or is just kind of in your thought processes. What, what's going, what's bouncing around in your head? Well, uh, you know, I've had a lot of correspondence over email with people who are telling me that uh, uh, the Russian uh, uh, operation there is falling apart and that they're being um, overcome by the Ukrainian army, which I find to be rather implausible. I mean, I I didn't necessarily expect that this would be a cakewalk for the the Russians. I, I'm disinclined to think that they're getting their asses kicked. Um, but, the, you know, they may be having a good deal of trouble. Um, uh, so my hope was that uh, they would wrap this operation up very swiftly and set Ukraine up to be a, uh, you know, a peaceful backwater, rationally governed in some way, uh, but mainly a place that wouldn't uh, make trouble in the world anymore, the way it has for the last, you know, five, ten years. And uh, I really hope that, that they can pull that off. It would be good for everybody, including us, you know, if they could just get that place under control, stop the violence, you know, get rid of some of the bad players who are in there, the, you know, the, the, the Ukrainian Nazis. As off the time. Uh, um, and just, you know, set up some government that can function and take care of the place on its own. I don't think that the Russians really want to own Ukraine. I get all these letters from people who say, oh, you know, the Russians want to take it over again. I'm not convinced that that's true at all because it would be a net liability for them. It would be just like taking on a failed state that they had to pay for and, uh, you know, coddle and... and uh, 
Uh, I also hear all these complaints that uh, the Russians want to take over Scandinavia and the Baltic nations. And I think, you know, they certainly don't want, I would be very doubtful that they'd want to take over Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. They, you know, they, uh, they'd only have to, first of all, the people there hate them. You know, they resent the 75 years that they spent under Soviet domination in the first place, Russian dom domination. And uh, I doubt they want to go through that again. And um, I don't know what's in it for them besides, you know, obtaining a few ports. So I hear all this chatter about, you know, the ambitions of, of the Russians. And I, I just don't see it. I, I just see the, them having... A, pretty limited objective of removing this problem in Ukraine and just having it be a peaceful place that they don't have to worry about. They don't have to worry about the West stationing, you know, putting missile bases there. And I don't know what's so complicated about that that people can't understand, especially, you know, uh, the motives of the Russian government in doing that. But instead, everybody's just busy demonizing Putin because, you know, they need something to replace COVID-19 in their demonology, you know, and COVID-19 uh, replaced Donald Trump in their de demonology. Um, and uh, God knows what the next, you know, if, if the Russians are successful in uh, cleaning up that uh, corner of the world, one really wonders what the next uh, problem is going to be for, for this country, probably a financial and economic problem. And, it'll, you know, it, that that would be probably lead to some kind of civil strife in America, whether it was, you know, riots in the cities or because of food shortages or, you know, broken down distribution systems or the uh, the conflicts between the red people and the blue people coming to a head. Um, it's hard to. You know, it's hard to call that, but it could be any combination of those things. What do you think about the U.S. biolabs there? Because to me, that seems to be, you know, when you see all the censorship of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, you got to go, what's what's behind it? And it's, it's big pharma profits. So when you see this just this unified and lockstep, you know, <clears throat> I support Ukraine. Today we are all Ukrainian. You know, all these like quotes of Zelensky and it's Putin as Satan. And it's like. Well, look, just today, I think there was congressional testimony where Victoria Nuland, who is uh, either an assistant or deputy secretary of state and was one of the engineers of the two, uh, 2014 cool. Ukrainian color revolution. You know, she was asked uh, about the biolabs and she essentially admitted that they were there. Yeah. in today's congressional testimony. So, uh, you know, it seems to be resolving uh, that it's a fact that uh, there were biolabs there, that uh, some of them were close to the Russian border, and that they had a good deal to worry about, um, bioweapons being deployed against them. So uh, uh, it, it seems to me that U.S. media has been playing that down and trying to put across the idea that it was uh, imaginary, but it probably wasn't an imaginary. It's probably for real. And, uh, you know, it was another thing that prompted them to go in and clean the place up. Yeah, to me that... They also, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, you know, they also may have had intelligence. I mean, after all, you know, 
Um, Ukraine is, uh, in a way, you know, a very Russian kind of place. And and God knows what kind of intelligence uh, penetration the Russians have of Ukrainian life, uh, official and, and otherwise. And, uh, you know, they may have been well informed about what was going on in those labs. And uh, that may have been one of their major motives in going in and cleaning the place up. So... So, uh, you know, we'll see how that story plays in American media and, um, you know, how the world, you know, how the world treats that, uh, that uh, revelation. I, I feel like that's probably exactly what it is. I feel like, yeah. like the fact that he, he went in there, I don't think he <clears> just snapped. And the fact yeah. that the entire rest of the world, led by the United States, is screaming, this guy's evil. I don't think that's an organic response. So you got to start looking and go, where's the, what's going on? Yeah. What's, what's the real, and I think it's probably that. Didn't they say that there's their anthrax labs and smallpox labs? Like, yeah, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of, uh, all, all kinds of, uh, you know, dangerous microbial junk, you know, that they're playing with. And I mean, haven't we learned a lesson yet that uh, it's not a good idea maybe to be playing with, uh, you know, manufacturing artificial organisms that can hurt people. Well, uh, I think that's what it might start to unravel. Yeah, and I think that, you know, a number of things are unraveling. We're, in fact, I would call the next, um, you know, the next month going forward the great unraveling because I think that a lot of things are going to be unraveling. Already we can see element, very big elements of the COVID-19 story unraveling. Just done. Just just falling apart. I mean, we know that, you know, we know that the CDC has been lying about the statistics. Um, uh, you know, we know that the uh, Pfizer drug trials were fudged and, and gamed. Um, you know, we're going to find out all kinds of stuff about the dishonesty that's been going on in our own public health officialdom. And people are really going to be pissed off because, you know, they've, they've uh, lost relatives uh, their children have been maimed. And what is really astonishing to me is that, you know, you still see people like uh, uh, the head of the New York State Health Department go on TV every night and tell people to get vaccinated yeah. and tell them to vaccinate their children. You know, when it's abundantly clear that this is not a good idea, this is dangerous. You know, this could end up killing a lot of people. And, you know, another revelation just in the last week was that, the vaccines actually have the capability of um, uh, altering your DNA. Altering your DNA. That's this evening's you know? podcast with Doctor. Uh, I got a letter just before we went on the air. I got an email from a, a correspondent of mine who had a long list of friends who have just come down with very uh, aggressive, rapid onset cancers. Jesus. And, uh, you know, that, that's reputed to be, uh, you know, one of the um, side effects of these vaccines. So there's a lot to worry about and not only a lot to worry about, but imagine how pissed off people are going to be about that. Yeah. Just imagine. Yeah. If it turns out that that kind of damage has been done to tens of millions of Americans and, of course, people in other countries, too. Uh you can't predict, you know, what, what, where, you can't, it's hard to predict what kind of violence is going to erupt over that. Yeah, where's that Where's that steam valve going to explode? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So, you know, there, we're, you know, we're going to see revelations about that. Sooner or later, old Mr. Durham, the federal oh, prosecutor, yeah. the special prosecutor who's been orbiting out there like some kind of a rogue asteroid. Yeah. You know, he's going to he's going to land on a, on on yeah. a whole bunch of people, including probably Hillary Clinton, what, yeah, James what you, Comey. What do you think that is? he is just kind of been like a kind of been like a like a delta force sniper just on like on like a rooftop and you've just been watching the silhouette for like a couple of days you're like what is that what does he yeah. do what it what do you think that is do you think it's all i think he's i think he's building a very complex case uh on against very powerful people and he's got to make sure that it's a really Airtight. tight case uh, uh one thing that we have observed over the last two years that he's been doing this is that you know, this is a guy who's managed to keep a lid on this whole investigation. Not a no. not a damn thing is leaked out of there. You know, he's released some information in the last two months yeah. because he's already got he's got court cases underway. And when you do that, you know, you make you have to have, you have to do filings of charges and things like that. So, you know, that kind of information came out in a formal manner. But it's amazing that no leaks have come out of his, you know, band of lawyers for two years. So I have to think that he's up to some very serious business. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that when all is said and done, I wouldn't be surprised if Hillary Clinton, James Comey, um, uh, Jim Clapper, John Brennan. Jeez. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't even surprise me if Barack Obama was named as an unindicted co-conspirator. I mean, you know? it, I mean, those are some huge names. I mean, Cla yeah, yeah, yeah. Cla yeah, Clapper, Brennan. But I mean, there's there is something very odd about like the Durham thing is and who knows? Maybe I'm just taking a hook, line and sinker because I also just kind of want to see it happen. But I think like all the Mueller hysteria that seemed yeah. more like a TV show. It's it's gonna happen, and it didn't. This one's different. This is just kind of like a yeah, a but that wasn't the purpose of the no, Mueller no, investigation. No, no. Yeah, the know, purpose of the Mueller investigation was to continue persecuting the Trump yeah, administration yeah, no. and covering up the shit that they did before. I that was the purpose of the Mueller investigation. I get that. Yeah, no, the Mueller, that was like very loud and banging drums. That was like a like a column of tanks. Durham seems like a nuclear submarine. It's a lot yeah, scarier. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, the, the, you know, apropos of what we're talking about, um, sooner or later, he's, he's going to come up with some serious indictments against some serious people. So that's going to come as a shock to people, especially the blue people, you know, yeah. who have uh, felt morally superior for the last five years. Oh, wow. And uh, I don't know how they're going to process that, you know. And, and uh, it's also possible that, you know, we're going to end up seeing people in American public health prosecuted, you know, including people like Rachel, uh, Michelle Walensky and, and uh, Tony Fauci and, and Collins at NIH and, God you know, me. many of them, perhaps many of their deputies. I, I really, because it's not just that all these side effects are happening and they knew it was, they were consciously suppressing all alternative information, myself, That's right. myself included. It's like I've seen it firsthand. Now, granted, I'm a small podcast, but yeah. I mean, getting kicked off YouTube for having on Dr. McCullough telling people to take vitamin D like yeah. this. Who knows, man? I mean, a part of me is concerned because 
it's almost uh, it's like I want to see it happen, and when I, when something like that happens, I have to start questioning. Like, am I being tugged along? Is it a nothing burger? Am I gonna mm-hmm. be in it? Am I gonna feel just as stupid as everyone after Mueller had nothing? Yeah, that's I think concern. that that's fair enough to ask that question of yourself. Yeah, but let's remember, you know, uh, three people have already been indicted, and 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 the way these things work, they are probably leaning on them to uh, rat out their, you know, the people on top of them. So uh, it's not like uh, there's nothing going on. That's very true. And Durham just looks scary. He does. And then, like, the, the two pictures that the that media is, has of him, he's managed to hide that's, so, that's, that's so well. That's what's weird, man, is it does feel like there are some very powerful forces behind him. I like to, I like to, in my naivety, I like to imagine there's, like, a deeper state. There's deep state, and then there's like yeah. a deeper state of just. And then like, there's deepest. That the, there's deepest statist. I like <laughs> to imagine that there are some like good American patriots beneath it all, who are gonna. Yeah, just, yeah. We're just gonna. I mean, that's, that's been one of the fuckers. real baffling uh, elements of the whole story for the last five, six years. You know, is that uh, like, are there no good uh, people left? Yeah. Are there no people of, uh, you know, of any uh, standing in this country? Not one goddamn patriot. In, I just, I just, out of just a law of averages, I refuse to believe that. I know. I, it's, it's just incredible. There's not one Snowden in there who, even if he yeah. couldn't do it through official channels, would just leak it. And you're telling me they no. haven't banded together and go, hey, let's fucking make Watergate look like a picnic? Yeah. But then again. Well, I, that was another thing I saw today that was interesting was uh, some little news bit that said that the people at the head of the uh, uh, CDC were freaking out because there was a prospect that a lot of damaging information would be coming out over the weekend or by the weekend or over the weekend um, about what the CDC had been up to for the last two years. And it didn't say any more than that, but uh, it it suggested that there was going to be quite a bit of turmoil about that. I mean, you got to think that, I mean, the NSA, for better or worse, truly has everything everywhere. Yeah. They just, it's just what it is. So, I mean, is this, is Durham parallel construction? Well, think of this, consider this, you know, for, for at least a year, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Rick Rick Grinnell, mm-hmm. and then John Ratcliffe mm-hmm. were head of the NSA. Yeah, and did DNI. And as well. I think it's uh, yeah DNI. They were DNI, um, and um, it's uh, inconceivable that they didn't extract a lot of very interesting information in the course of the the time that they were there. Yeah. Um, you know they haven't been they haven't been broadcasting it around, but in the case of Ratcliffe, you know we know that he gave something like a thousand pages of documents to Durham, and it was probably like you know the richest uh, vein in the mother load yeah. that he gave to to him. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, and Grinnell hasn't been shooting his mouth off about anything, but he must know an awful lot too. God. I just want to see it. I just want to see. Well, I think we need it. We need that. You we know, have that's to, or of, the fucking country's done. The Russia Gate was kind of the original sin of all the trouble that we've 
brought down on ourselves in the last five years. Because what it did was that it really started the process of destroying people's faith in American institutions. Mm -hmm. You know, you could no longer believe that the FBI was a, you know, a fair and credible Mm -hmm. uh, uh, agency. You could no longer believe that the Department of Justice was really a, a Department of Justice. And you, you really couldn't believe that, that most of the people in important places were not crooked. And that really needs to be straightened out, you know. Uh, it's exactly what led to the condition of America becoming the land of anything goes and nothing matters. Yeah. Because there are no consequences for anything. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got to get back to the idea that there are consequences for doing stuff. Who knows? I mean, I'm clearly biased with this big flag behind me, but... I just like to imagine that there are some George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Eisenhower, JFK motherfuckers just somewhere like Durham, just like just like a shark, just quietly down there, just ready to because I mean there's nowhere to defect to. This is the last stand. This country yeah. is the last stand. Well, you know, th- there's a I think there is a kind of dynamic in uh, when Sometimes when countries, societies get into trouble, there's a strange vacuum of leadership that develops. Mm. You know, you saw that happen in the French Revolution, especially after the Jacobins were thrown out. You know, the the Jacobins are an interesting story to me. Uh, I've told this before on some other person's podcast. Um, The Jacobins were like the equivalent of the wokest people today. The woke, the wokery people, the wokesters. Um, the Jacobins sat on the left side of the National Assembly, and so they were. That's where the term "the left" came from originally. Mm. They were the most radical revolutionaries in the French Revolution, and the revolution had been going on for mm, about four years when they they came along in 1793. Now the revolution sort of starts, really breaks out in 1789. And by 1793, the Jacobins have control of the National Assembly, and they turn France absolutely upside down. They change all kinds of cultural uh, 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 cultural signposts and and uh, norms. You know, they they decide that they're no longer going to have a seven day week; they're going to turn it into a ten day week. They decide that the calendar is going to be different. You know, they they like completely try to upset France's sense of reality. And, uh, and of course, in the, uh, and they also gin up these tremendous prosecutions where the, the guillotine really starts, you know, going uh, at an industrial pace, cutting people's heads off. And they ended up executing about 18,000 people. And um, it only took them about 11 months, you know, and by you know eleven months later, in uh, in the fall of nineteen uh, fall of seventeen ninety four, the the National Assembly rises up against them and gets rid of them and cuts off Robespierre's head and all of his deputies and gets rid of these people. They're never heard of again, you know, until the Bolshevik Revolution, you know, in Russia. The you know the, the, that sort of radicalism is you know completely uh, they really get rid of them. And um, uh, after that, uh, France was in a weird vacuum of leadership where, you know, they could just kind of, they just kind of stumbled along for a few years. And then 
uh, you know, they're, you know, in a constant state of, uh, you know, quasi-revolution and uprising. So at one point, there's trouble in Paris in like 1796 or seven or something like that. I forget exactly which year it was, but um, they, uh, they assign this obscure artillery officer from the south of France and they bring him up to Paris and uh, they give him a post and uh, there's some kind of a street riot out there. And he goes out there, he's an artillery officer and he's pretty good at it. And uh, he disperses his crowd with what he calls a whiff of grape shot. Yeah. And who is that guy? Well, it's this guy named Bonaparte. Yeah. He's like a 26-year-old artillery officer, right? Um, he's distinguished himself uh, somewhat in some, some uh, battles that took place against the Austrians in the south of France. But um, at that point when he does this thing in Paris, everybody in the country like turns to him and says, he's the guy. He's the, yeah. He's the guy. This kid, you know, this 26-year-old kid who comes along. And uh, uh, and the thing that's really weird about it was he was a guy. You know, he was a supremely talented person. Hmm. He was very, very talented. He was a tremendous tactician. He was a tremendous administrator. He was, in his own way, a, uh, a pretty uh, serious intellectual. He created... Uh, you know, the French legal code that is still exists to this day, you know, he had a weakness for uh, military adventure, right? Which was his undoing. But he sure went a long way with all that stuff, you know, from the 1790s to 1814, he had quite a run. Anyway, God knows, uh, you know, whether something like that is going to happen in the United States. You know, coming. Who will come out of this vacuum of leadership after our Jacobins have been busy terrorizing us for a couple of years? Just yeah, a bunch of fucking trying to normalize pedophilia, making it cool to hate the country you live in. Just yeah, yeah. Uh, just let inject your kids if you want them to go to school. It seems like yeah, there's going to be a nucleation point. It's going to be a lightning rod. And all the static electricity in the room is all of a sudden just going to condense. And and I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think it's just, it seems to be a pattern of history. Yeah. We we don't know who that guy is, but you know. His name is James James Kunstler. No, that I doubt. Yeah. I'm just going to be some old coot on the on the sidelines, you know, making making gags about it. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there with you. I'll I'll be a court jester. I'll just follow right. it. Along. You can mix my drinks. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. I'll I'll be your servant. We'll bring back servantry. I'll I'll be your. Yeah, servant. I'll yeah. change your name to Jandy. Fuck yeah, I don't care. I'll be whatever, man. Jandy, would you make me another julep? Like, of course, uh, and I'll just talk in eighteen hundred like nineteen hundreds futury guy, and we'll just go on rambling about resorts in New England that don't exist anymore, and. That's, yeah, how we'll avoid like, the, that's how we'll avoid the guillotine. Yeah. <laughs> well, fuck yeah, man. Let's wrap this one up. Okay. Thanks so much again, man. You're a very cool fucking guy. I like talking to it's you. It's a pleasure talking to you, Tommy. Yeah. It's, you said earlier, you're like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for an hour. We talked about a lot last week. I never know what the fuck we're going to talk about. We started with Ukraine and we ended up yeah. with Napoleon. So, I mean, yeah. you just got to let it ride. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, man. I will... I will send you this one. I'll be up. It should be up relatively quickly. 
as always, I put all the links to all of your stuff in the description. Everybody can follow them. Check out Clusterfuck Nation. And actually, the episode we did before this, mm-hmm. I think, broke 20,000 views. And that is one of one, two, three. It is one of five videos I have that have broken 20,000 out of 730 mm. episodes. So I thought that was kind of fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Popeye the Sailor Man. Yeah, you're a celebrity. You're in, 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 I'm not kissing your ass. You can go look at the videos. There's there's I think there's five. There's five that Where's are my gift bag? You will get an award if you will get I don't an, want award. an award. I want a gift bag with a with, with a really nice Swiss watch in it. All right, I'll get you a Swiss watch if that's what you just ask for the Swiss watch. Fuck this fuck, fuck the formality. <laughs> Listen up, bitch. Give me a Swiss watch. And some cologne. If you if you if you break if one of your episodes breaks a hundred thousand views. I get a gift bag. I'll give you a. I'll buy a fucking Swiss Wednesday, March 9th, twenty twenty two, four twenty three p.m. Eastern time. If an episode with you ever breaks a hundred thousand views, even if some point in the future I'm averaging a hundred thousand views, and by default you get that, I'll buy you a Swiss watch. I will not make any guarantees on the the price of it. <laughs> yeah, but right. it will technically be a Swiss watch. It'll you, be a Dolex. Hey. It, hey Let's not let's not let's not get greedy here. You, I want a Lamborghini. Okay, well, all right. If so you I break can, a, if you break a hundred million views, I'll get you a Lamborghini. Because by I then, I want to keep on. I want to keep on happy motoring. Yeah, well, I'll hundred thousand views. I, I will get you a Swiss watch, and right. I will find a way to get make it happen. I hope I'm. I hope I hope I have to because that would mean the podcast is succeeding. Um, but yeah, man, thank you so much. God bless everybody. Stay safe out there. Don't let too much negativity get to you. For the most part, everything's still pretty fucking great. And uh, yeah, enjoy it. I don't know. Be a good person. Fuck if I know. And uh, fuck that guy that called you earlier thinking he could interrupt this podcast. Fuck that guy. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Recording stop. Stay safe, everybody.